1: The following podcast contains explicit language. I'm Stephen Metcalf and this is the Slate Culture Gap Fest new theme song edition. It's Wednesday, December 31st, 2014. Happy New Year, Dana. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Julia.
2: Yeah,
3: out with the old and with the new.
1: Absolutely, because, well, as you say, we're doing something different. We're uh, ushering out our old theme song, which we were all deeply, deeply attached to. And we're bringing in a a new one by uh, your friend, the wonderful composer Nick Bertel, whose studio we visited together after having given him the most incoherent word salad in the the history of such things, from which to try to create a new theme song from the show. And he did heroic work. Am I right in estimating that, Julia?
3: I thought it was pretty fun, but we we went up to his studio a few weeks ago and we'll play an excerpt of of that visit now, but then we're also going to kind of hash out our our take on his takes here in the studio today and settle on a final theme.
2: But, Steve, because I think that the uh, the irony in your voice was not quite audible, I think I would point out that I don't think any of the three of us was particularly attached to our old theme song. It was something that was composed for our show when we first got started before the show had really defined well, what it was. And it was composed for the Political Gab Fest, actually, and then we just it. That's right. Really we shared it. their theme. Yeah. So, yeah, we've never really had a theme of our own. Right.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it's an old shoe for which we have some affection, and uh, now it's going in the garbage. <laughs> Julia, we're. This is really a different show for us. We've never done. We've never done a single topic uh, gabfest in my memory, right?
3: No, I don't think so. So this is our um, show for the week between Christmas and New Year's. We're actually taking the week off, so we're recording it a week ahead. Uh, but we thought it'd be fun to take a little bit of a deeper dive into our new theme song process for you all because we got to go on this fun field trip to a working music studio, which was fascinating, uh, and then go through a couple iterations on the song. So. Um yeah, we'll we'll there'll be a couple different components to this show, but it's all about the theme song.
1: All right, so the first part of the show is going to be our field trip to Nick Bertel's, uh home studio and uh I can only say that I I I had a I had a wonderful time getting to know Nick. And in part getting to know Nick through his amazing apartment. I've I've scarcely ever been in a more sort of beautifully feng shuied space. Uh it, everything was just so just so and it's of a piece, I think, uh, Julia. If I'm right, with his uh, creative temperament.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're just sort of in his cozy studio, which basically is like 10,000 computers. I mean, not. It's like three computers and three monitors hooked up to a keyboard somehow, uh, with a, some some big speakers set up.
2: But it has sort of a NASA like impressive feeling of arrays of technology surrounding you. Yeah, there's a lot of technology happening there. I
3: mean, there's a you know, the apartment he has a piano, and his wife's cello. There's lots of real world stuff there, but the studio we were in was fairly technical feeling, and some music books around, and.
2: And another thing that we had visual access to in the studio that you won't hear in the segment is this really great music mixing software that Nick was using the whole time to demonstrate these clips to us. It was it was called, tell me the name again, Julia? Ableton, I think. Ableton, right, which is something similar to Pro, Pro Tools but that he prefers to Pro Tools and which displays all the instruments that you're hearing from in this wonderfully analog way. Like if you want to, you can make things look like you know, a record player or an old-fashioned keyboard, right? And so you're sort of seeing a a visual display of the same thing you're hearing. Yeah, bass... Oh, go ahead, Steve. Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, what's amazing is you got to see close up what the kind of conditions under which modern composers now work in the age of technology, and everything has been digitized. Every sound an orchestra can make every way to filter it through an era so if you want it to sound like a scratchy record from the you know old seventy eight from the nineteen twenties or thirties, whenever seventy eights were common, you can filter it that way. So it's this embarrassment of riches in a way. I mean, Julia, how does one ever even begin to choose what noises and sounds from the entire universe you know, universe of sounds to put into a single piece of music.
3: Right. What, what really confronted us in the studio, I think, was just the array of potential options to, to distill all of those possibilities down into, like, specific compositions with specific sounds and to figure out how the mood and effect of a particular track, where it comes from, whether it comes from these particular sonic elements, whether it's the melody, whether it's the rhythm, whether it's the tempo, whether it's how the things are all stitched together in a mix, it brought home to me in a real way just how many different potential ways there are for any given song to sound, which makes you appreciate the specificity of any given song
1: that you do enjoy. All right. Well, why don't we we listen to what we came up with and what Nick came up with?
0: (laughs) Hey, Nick. Hey, how are you guys doing?
1: (laughs) It's great to meet you in the flesh.
0: Absolutely. Good to have you guys here.
3: Do you feel like maybe we should refresh our audience as to what we – what the assignment was? Because as I recall, we threw like a word salad at you. Yes.
0: There were there were a lot of different ideas that were presented uh, for uh, for exploration of what we would do with the music. And um, there were various things uh, from polyvocal to represent your three voices. Um, words like granola, Kierkegaard, Gamelan, uh, Spilkus were mentioned. <laughs> a strut quality, something that could challenge people um, but doesn't trouble the conscience, <laughs> uh, I think was... <laughs> I think, was mentioned. Uh, Some of the takeaways were it felt like we should try having some sort of a beat felt interesting. Um, Also, guitar seemed to be something which wasn't absolutely necessary, but a lot of the things that you listened to or talked about felt like they had a guitar element that you liked. So some of the stuff that I have here has guitar. And uh, a few of the other terms, there was non-Western pop. Indonesian bird song was mentioned. Um, Swedish emo, one of the big takeaways actually, which I did put in all the tracks pretty much was the idea. It felt like some sort of a a story being told through the course of the track so that it wasn't just like one piece of music. It was actually something which started with one thing and then sort of morphed a little bit and then morphed a little bit. So there's actually three... Section kind of very short, but three sections in each one where it starts with something. Many of them start with something that's almost in the vein of what you had mentioned, Dana, the, uh, the sort of like cinematic, you know, like an old kind of jazz piano a little bit, and then it morphs into something, and then it morphs into something with a beat. So there's various things there that uh,
3: have that There's like an evolution in the tracks. On a scale of one to ten, how bananas was this creative brief? Like that was, a, that was like a lot of different adjectives and words that we excitedly threw at you. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would put it maybe at like a,
0: like a solid 7. It wasn't, this wasn't a 10. I've, 10, ten is, is hard to attain. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a 7, I think, just because uh, there was a variety of different uh, directions. And uh, because of that, that actually led me to make quite a few different tracks, actually, just because I think to some extent, instead of just me going off and making one thing that somehow amalgamated, you know, all of these things felt very difficult, so... Was, it, was, it was not unchallenging.
3: <laughs> Shall we hear one of the tracks?
0: Sure. Let's get going. So um, I think I'll start with the, this was the first track that I recorded. And this one was very directly sort of like trying to hit the nail on the head with very specifically Kierkegaard, Birdsong, and Gamelon. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Passionate sense of the potential for the eye, which ever young and ardent seeks the possible. Pleasure disappoints possibility never. And what wine is so sparkling, what so fragrant, what so intoxicating as possible. <laughs>
1: Oh my God! We've brought the podcasting revolution to a close (laughs) in one fucking theme song.
2: Wait, so whose voice was that reading? Actually,
0: me. That's actually me reciting Kierkegaard, and I I manipulated my voice a little bit so it sounded a little you know different from my voice. It's it's pitched lower, um, but uh, but yeah that was um, so that was definitely intended uh, with you know a, a sort of lighthearted uh, look at the <laughs> theme music. That was not, um, but uh, but yeah that's uh, that's a combination. That's actual birdsong. Um, that's uh, that's a, a, a sample of, of birdsong that I found, and then um, there's. There's some gamelan layered in. There's two gamelan layers there, Um, and then there's me reading Kierkegaard. And there's also um, there's also some vinyl, you know, uh, that I added in here. This sort of sound. So actually, if you can see, this is like some of the sounds individually. You can hear like this is here's the Kierkegaard.
4: But for the passionate.
0: And here's the quote. Actually, where was the? It's from Either or. There you go. So. so there you go so that was the first That uh, that was the, I was calling that Slay Kierkegaard um, now here are some of the uh, actual music tracks <laughs> this is an early idea that I actually had that was um, multi-part so it starts with an old sounding sort of piano that I made sound like an old recording then it morphs into some Gamelon and then it goes into a rock beat actually that was more upbeat and uh, had a very uh, sort of positive feeling that felt like similar to the, some of the Beats that you guys had mentioned. So I'll play this one.
2: The amount of joy and promise that that holds forth is so much more than our show could ever deliver. <laughs>
1: oh, I know. At the end of that comes my voice. Ah!
2: You'd be expecting Bono to walk out to a stadium crowd of tens of thousands after that. I love um,
3: the way that the layered parts work together at yeah, the beginning definitely. there, though. like I think the way they like cast into the piece of music yeah. feels right to me. What did you guys think of that part?
2: I agree, I agree. The moment the guitar, guitar kicks in is something we could actually go with. But something about that emotional build afterwards just it just ends up being sort of too daunting for our low-key vibe. <laughs> I love
1: it. You're so self effacing I, I love it. And here, now come our opinions. Our drab voices. Here come our opinions. Enjoy our
3: opinions. Well, one thing that strikes me about this is that it's hard to figure out which parts of that rock track feel like... Overwhelming, Like, it feels yeah. very early 90s, like, exactly. alt pop to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. sounds a lot like Velocity Girl, basically, which is a band that I really liked. But we are not Velocity Girl. But I can't figure out if that's, like, is it the chords? Is it the instruments? Is it the tempo? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm bad at listening to music. So, like, what are the parts of, of that track that? add up to making it feel like more overwhelmingly excited than we are <laughs> totally.
0: yeah and actually i i sort of anticipated that because this was a, this was a very early version i did to show just taking away like looking at some of the comments specifically and being like well what i write but i did feel that maybe it was a little too you know up and a little too kind of like rear and a go kind of a thing so the types of things that i think you would then change you know if you liked the the tonal colors and the palette of sounds like if you like rock guitar and you like the beat you could lower the tempo which changes things a lot you could also uh, change the types of chords and harmonies that are used so I did a version of that where actually I took that same track and then um, recalibrated a bit where it still starts similarly with the first two elements uh, with the piano and then it goes into a sort of transition thing but then the guitar part that comes in isn't quite as uplifting in a sense. It's not as happy. It's not as sort of like, you know, skies are, you know, bright, you know, everything. Here we go, you know. So um, I'll play you that one now. And this one, so what I did was actually, uh, musically, I added more minor uh, chords to the harmonies, actually. So they're not all quite as uh, sunny in a way. Um, And this one still has that, it has an alt-rock vibe to it, but I think is more, it's a little more... um, I don't want to say thoughtful, but it's a little bit it's a little less like overly sunny. So here's this one. <laughs>
2: And I feel like that's that sounds a lot like the one I was custom ordering. I don't know if we I don't think we talked about typewriter keyboard sounds, but that seems kind of perfect for the bookishness of the Enterprise.
0: I thought that was a, a fun little addendum to it to have an actual typewriter that actually is going through the whole <laughs> it's playing underneath the entire rock track.
1: Um, it sound to anyone else like is it reminiscent of a little bit of three goth kids planning a murder? <laughs> <laughs> or is that just me?
2: That seems appropriate enough to me. I was getting like a
3: Tim Burton goes to a rock show vibe. There's something about the the melody felt a little like ooh magical. Strange things are about to happen. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that felt the chords felt different. It felt slightly slower. Or did just the chords make it sound slower?
0: Um, interestingly, I think this one is a little bit slower. I did that consciously, and also um, there are a few different uh, instruments on this one. I added a – there's a subtle rock organ mixed into it that does that kind of melody that you uh, noticed. And also there are different – there's actually some different guitar sounds on that one, and the transition is a little different. too. So it was kind of how it led into it was a little – very subtly different. But overall, it was all about trying to take that – like the, the emotional resonance of it from being all – Excited and and happy into more a slightly more you know uh, contemplative place.
2: That one to me the most had the sound of a whole bunch of different heterodox influences coming together into one melody, which is sort of what I envisioned when you came in to talk to us.
0: Awesome. Well, that's absolutely my my goal was to have it feel like it's one thing, but it's one thing that is made of many different things. And uh, I think the you know the old piano and then there's the gamelon and the typewriter and the birds. There's definitely birds <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there. But uh, I'll go through there's, – there's, so there's there's more ideas. There's now um, – I actually have two more versions. Uh,
3: Nick, before we move on to the other tracks, I, I thought it would be cool if our listeners could hear some of the um, individual little lines that you added. And I want to describe where we are. So we're in your music studio, which is a room in your house, and it's full of, like, more computer and speaker equipment than I've ever seen. And a program that I've never seen, which seems to, like, break out all the different individual lines of these – compositions it, like it's it looks like excel like it looks like you're um like you're doing a budget or something except it's music. What what is this?
2: A budget of beauty. <laughs> yeah.
3: An aesthetic budget.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um this is so different composers have different programs that they use. Um uh I used to use a program called Pro Tools, which I still have, and I do a lot of music mixing in Pro Tools. Uh, but this is a program that I really, really love, which uh, I think uh, many DJs use, but not as many composers use as should, This uh, is my plug for Ableton Live. Uh, and it is a fantastic program. It's unbelievably fast. It's unbelievably powerful. Um, and it lets you... Uh, it's, it's, you know, so what we 're looking at is it's basically uh, this is a visual display of all of the different uh, audio tracks in the recording, and what you can do is each of these channels is one of the sounds, and you can look at each of these, and you can solo them, and you can see what the sound is. You can see the different types of effects or plugins that I'm putting on it. So as an example here, let's look at uh, this old piano. So this here's the old piano sound soloed so that's this old piano and the way i made that was this is actually um this is an interesting sound this is a a plug-in uh which is a sample of alicia keys's piano actually um she made this plug-in and this is her piano so each Key on the piano was sampled out so you can actually play it. And uh, then, what I did to create that cool texture was I put a plugin on here where I actually ran it through an old record player. So, if you turn this off, you can see this is the sound of the actual piano. It's this. <laughs> which is still nice, and I put some various effects on that, but then if you put it through the record player now... There you go, but yeah. So that old sound to give it that sort of... Ni- and you can even see this, this record player sound is from, I believe this is... 19, that's a 1960s sort of record player that's run through. And then each layer represents something different. So here's the, the vinyl sample, which I made right there. So that's actual just record player vinyl, and uh, here's the organ that I mentioned that comes in later. And I think this is the part that maybe you're referring to. (laughs) And then there's actually a small guitar underneath that one, just to give it a little texture, so you can see these two. see when you add different elements to the mix here's the typewriter and here's like another rock guitar that's going on under it (laughs) play the whole thing together,
4: to hear it, sort of.
0: Individual parts, so there's like that guitar, drum, drums I made. You have a lot of flexibility over all the elements but there's almost too much flexibility that you have (laughs) I'll play, the next one here is still rock related but it's more kind of uh, expansive I don't know how I would term it, like more expansive contemplative rock, there's more piano in this one Um, and this track has, starts a similar way, goes into more of a, um, it's not quite as I don't think it's quite as upbeat, it's more and in some ways it feels epic but not sunny as sunny to me um i'll just play it <laughs>
1: I love the way that it all drops out until it's nothing but the swelling strings. It's so perfect somehow.
2: That's a beautiful piece of music, but it's so melancholic. I'm not sure that I would want to just jump into a podcast that started with something that contemplative. I feel like I would need to go smoke a cigarette and look at the rain first.
3: <laughs> I actually had the same response to you. as was feeling like the end felt there's something about the way that the sound fell out that felt really good. I, I don't know exactly what it was that fell on point. It feels a little bit – like the expansiveness feels good. It feels um, – uh, you have to forgive my, like, limited music vocabulary. There's something, like, slightly, like, Moby-ish about it or mm-hmm. something. Like, slightly – it feels a little bit like weird, like, snake oil salesman with the cult of the culture fest or something. <laughs> like, it puts, it puts the cult in culture fest maybe or something. There's something, like – what's the right word it's like you're going on a big psychic ride which maybe the show is a big psychic ride
1: I really liked it I like I like the idea that the like just to be kind of crushingly literal that the rock beat part of it is the actual discussion and the swelling strings are kind of the after lingering afterthought of our wisdom in the heads of our listeners
0: And also this one, so interestingly, uh, I was thinking of of you when I wrote this, (laughs) Steve. I was thinking this was like, um, this was the one I remember we talked about uh, Lenny Tristano. And you talked a little bit about uh, something atonal and uh, Mm -hmm. not unchallenging. And I think you said, um, where was it here? You said, pleasingly atonal with moments of resolution and clarity, but overall not unchallenging. You also mentioned Rite of Spring with Spilkis, but I didn't.
2: <laughs> and you're talking so. here about the track we just heard, not so the, the one, one we're about to hear. Yeah, that one. So this one
0: I was thinking, uh, and with the strings at the end, I was thinking of some of those kind of feelings. But this was definitely intended to be more of like a, a sort of antithesis in some ways to the, the sunny. This was a response to how sunny the other one felt. So,
2: Nick, are we down to our last sample?
0: I think we are. This is so this is uh another one where uh again intro sections are similar. This one has more of like a I don't want to say a hip hop beat, but this has more of sort of a R and B style hip hop beat a little bit. Uh the drums are bigger, <clears throat> but the tempo is slower. And this is again more in the contemplative kind of range. So it may be you know, too too sad, but maybe not at the same time because it's hard to know Just by looking at tempo and things, how it's gonna feel until you actually experience the whole thing. So, curious your thoughts on this.
1: I really like that. that. May be my favorite. Um, if it could end with swelling spilkas <laughs> strings, maybe combined.
0: It could, could definitely end it with swelling strings.
2: <laughs> what do you think, Julia? To me, that doesn't capture our our essence at all. I feel like that that that's way more like of a loungy experience than I can provide to anyone. <laughs> I just love that as a piece of music. I think that's the
3: one thing that's hard about listening to these. Like, I feel like I want to play that in my head all the time. But then trying to figure out if that's what we conjure or want to conjure is a harder question.
2: The melody has like this Vince Guaraldi sadness to it. That piano melody, it just has this terrible kind of sad Charlie Brown. It's very winning. It's, it's, it's really lovely. But, but I do feel like it puts you into a very, I don't know, just a, a, a very thoughtful headspace. Thoughtful's not bad. Thoughtful's kind of where we want to leave people, right? I guess it seems
3: like the big balance we're trying to strike is between energy, like what is the right energy to leave someone in? We want a little more energy than we've got. And then affect, right? Like you want people to be open-minded, to be ready for complexity, for them to be like okay with irresolution, And so it's like – it's amazing. It's left us in – like four very different directions here, um, and I don't know. I like them all. Crap.
1: So those two, I like. I like the second one, which is the super peppy, uh, hard rockin' indie rockin' one, and the l- last one, which is Lenny Tristano meets, exactly. you know, <laughs> R. Kelly or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> and and that like gives it this floor, this kind of solidity. Which I kinda like. I just like that combination. I think it's a I think it's a really cool way to go into the show.
2: I love the ending of the second one and I wonder we can
3: definitely put that on the first one with the typewriter kind of I, love I can that coming back in. I wonder if the piece of music could be constructed such that you'd hear the beginning, mm-hmm. Steve would do the intro of the show, and then when he kicked the intro of the show. Um, you heard the ding And then it was sort of like Okay, now the show's begun Like mm-hmm. it, like the the piece of music could interact With the top of the show In a slightly uh, different way Than it currently I, does
1: I, I love that idea Yeah, because this music is incredibly Good and apt And I hate the idea That we're going to only hear A tiny little bit of it I, like, I love the idea of the vocal in- intro As interacting with the pattern The pattern of that week after week Interacting with the pattern of the music I think is great
2: But that would also mean that the middle section would have to be, if this makes sense, it would sort of have to be enough of a a bland, continuous cushion that depending on how long the intro lasted on a given week, you could edit it differently.
1: So we can (laughs) – wherever you guys want, we can make it work. And also for the record, Dana, I can turn any introduction to this show into a bland, continuous cushion. (laughs) Maybe
2: this should be the bland, continuous cushion (laughs) edition.
3: (laughs) I have a question for you, Nick, just more generally about how you deal with this. So. Now I've heard each of these songs and I feel already like Robert Parker, like they talk about Robert Parker, the wine critic, like he's tasted so many robust wines that his, his you know, taste buds are shot and he can't tell anything anymore. So the only wines that he likes are just these like super crazy ones. Like how do you even keep all this in your head? Like now basically – and I, I feel this way with music generally. Like if I listen to an album, I'm like eh. And then once I have listened to that album ten times, I'm like I love these songs. Like for me, familiarity breeds – Fondness with music. Sure. So now every time I listen to each one of these tracks, I'm like, ooh,
2: ooh,
3: <laughs> like I, I'm just like a cat with a ball of string. I, I feel like it's very hard to retain any kind of discernment. How do you not drive yourself crazy going through different iterations for this project or any project?
0: It's a really good question. Um, I think that in general, uh, the first goal of any composition is always you, you have to write something that you like yourself. So um, I think that's always my first goal is to make something and if I don't like it then I just keep trying to find something until I do like it and then there's usually a point after about depends how many hours maybe if you're you know if I'm in this studio here and it's like four or five hours into working on one track I lose absolutely all perspective and I can't and and you you have absolutely no idea if it's good or not Um, so oftentimes you sort of put something to the side and then come back to it and and you never know how you're going to re-experience the music which is what's so fascinating and crazy about it you know there are times where i'll write something and i'm like this is absolutely amazing and then a week later i'll listen to it and i'm like what was i thinking <laughs> and then and then the opposite is true too where i'll write something and i'll be like oh my god I'm, I'm not feeling this it feels you know I, I like i feel lost and then two you know I'll two weeks later come back to it and I'll be like this is the greatest thing i've ever done. So uh so there, it, it's almost unknowable, but you do need a little bit of distance from it uh and and going back to it definitely helps you gain that perspective because in the moment you you certainly lose your ability to sort of judge things, i think.
2: Well, you're probably going to try to be objective about it and let us choose, but do you have are you getting a strong favorite during this listening session? Um, you know,
0: i i like all of them in different ways. Um I think on a musical level, my favorite is probably the last one. I think that one just resonates for me, you know, musically, the way the harmonies work, um, the genre, like I, I love hip-hop and R&B, and I feel that one feels, it almost has sort of like a, kind of almost even like a Stevie Wonderish kind of thing maybe with it. Um, so I like that one a lot. I also, but I like them all. I don't really have a preference. In, and And very much it's, I was trying to come up with different, paths so that you guys could have the most uh you know palliative options
2: so because this has been such an influx of exciting sounds some of them not that distinctly differentiated from each other i think we need to go through and just for my own sanity nickname these tracks so we have some sense of of which are the one what are we calling the different ones that are under consideration all right so the first one was kierkegaard which
3: frankly i think you guys have written off the kierkegaard track way too fast <laughs> 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 that thing was kind of hilarious um, then there was the sunny guitar. Mm-hmm. Then there was the melancholy guitar. Then there was Moby on the cliffs of Moore.
4: <laughs>
3: and then there was the R&B law firm. So Sunny guitar, Melancholy guitar, Moby on the Cliffs of Moore, R B Law Firm. Yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should just go with Kierkegaard. We haven't really given that serious consideration.
1: (laughs) Not Kierkegaard. Come on.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This was all just a long con to get Steve to disavow Kierkegaard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Julia.
3: (laughs) Okay, so our votes are Steve really likes sunny guitar and R and B law firm. Dana thinks sunny guitar might be a little bit too much to live up to, and she was into melancholy guitar.
2: But I'm also a fan of R&B Law Firm.
3: And I like whichever track I've heard most recently because I'm an impressionable nitwit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I actually,
3: I, I, my initial response to sunny guitar was that it was too sunny. But now that I'm getting more familiar with it and imagining it, actually the guitar part more falling out and going under Steve, um, under Steve's intro, I can imagine some version of the sunny guitar that could work, too.
2: You also were quite partial to Moby on the Moor, weren't you?
3: Like I said, I like them
4: all. I'm totally (laughs) using
3: All my decisive editorial prowess falls away in the face of music tracks. I'm just, I, I, yeah, I'm going to have to sit with these tracks for a little bit, I think. Nick, thank you so much for all the work that you put into these tracks. It's been it's amazing to have these conjured from nothingness, and they're beautiful. So thank you.
0: Thank you, guys. This was really fun. I really, really enjoyed going through all of the different uh, ideas and explorations of this. So uh, I'm excited to see which ones you come to with your, with your feelings.
3: So I think what we'll do is we're going to live with the tracks for a couple of days, discuss them, maybe send you a couple notes for ideas and tweaks, and um, then we'll settle on a final selection. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, we're back in our own studio. It's now a couple of weeks, three weeks later. We've had a chance to sit with these. I will say, Julia, it seems to me that we're judging them by two maybe completely separate standards. First, as pieces of music, and second, as theme music to our specific show. Did you find it hard to go back and forth between considering them in these separate lights?
3: Well, just in listening to the pieces of music since we met with Nick in his studio, I found myself most drawn to r and Law Firm as a piece of music. And I sort of shared Dana's feeling in the studio that day that it was a great piece of music, but was it really us? And maybe the guitar ones were more us. What can we say? We're all aging creatures of the early 90s anyway. So the kind of uh, Velocity Girl style clang-a-lang guitar maybe was more apropos, but just like, what do I like to listen to? I liked the r and Law Firm track. And I think in part, I mean, one thing we talked about a little bit in the studio was about the beats per minute, like the actual speed of the rhythms of the various tracks. And the, the R&B Law Firm was the slowest, by far the slowest. But something that it helped me realize is that for all that I love strut, I actually found that the slower beat was struttier than the faster beat, which isn't necessarily what you would assume. But there's like a certain syncopated emphasis to the R&B Law Firm track that felt struttier to me than the guitar which was like a driving rhythm, but less of a strutty rhythm. So I ended up kind of liking R&B Law Firm best. How about you guys?
2: You know, I think what happened to me, Julia, is exactly what you described in Nick's studio, where familiarity bred affection, because my initial reaction to R&B, while I thought it was a beautiful piece of music and maybe the most melodic in terms of just a pure melody rather than a a kind of um, ambient sound, I didn't feel like it was us in the studio. And then the more I started to listen to it and the more that you guys responded to it, I don't know. I, now that feels more like our theme to me. Da 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 dum da, da dum. It's a theme. It's a theme that you can hum.
1: Uh, 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 what about you, Steve? I was always uh, partial to it. it. It combined kind of all the elements I thought we needed, which was something strutty. Well, let me back up a little bit. I loved, first of all, I loved every piece of music that he created for us, and was in awe of um, his, his creativity, right? And creativity, his energy uh, and his responsiveness to the fricking incoherent verbal barrage that we uh, treated him <laughs> with initially. Uh, that 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 was the garp. The garbage we we put garbage in and out came beautiful music is amazing. But I did think that the driving kind of guitar-driven rockers, the happy one and the sad one, I preferred the happy by far, were too, uh, you felt as though it was the beginning of The Daily Show or Colbert, there was a live studio audience going like just juiced up and jazzed up and we would come prancing out on stage, which is not a, a week-to-week uh, vibe for us and um so as much as i loved them i just didn't think it was right for us i thought the moby on the cliffs with the sweeping strings was fantastic i loved the first version of it that we heard where all of the backing music drops out and you just have the sweep this bronte-esque sweep of these uh, strings but that made me feel as though uh i would need to uh, dress up and star in a meatloaf video maybe um and that that didn't quite fit for us either and uh at the end of the day, I just kind of love, you know, you say Vince Guaraldi; I would say maybe a little bit Lenny Tristano, Bill Evans, that kind of slightly poignant piano music underneath which is the cha-cha-cha of those drums uh, captures uh, some some of what we're about somehow.
3: Well, one other thing we asked our producer and Hepperman to do to help us understand this is, so as, as pieces of music, we all kind of evolved a little bit toward R&B Law Firm, but I definitely wondered if that was just if that was appropriate for our show still. Um, But then we asked Dan Hepperman to just dummy up the top of the show because we realized that, you know, these are fairly long pieces of music. It's not like we're going to have two minutes of sound before Steve starts talking. Uh, so actually what's going to be most sonically important for our listeners is the thing that's fairly similar across all of these compositions, which is the little combo of gamelan and birdsong and uh, danified noises that launches the show. And Steve's going to come in and talk over these various tracks. So with with all of the tracks still in the running, we had an dummy up a version of Steve talking over the music. And I think that was clarifying, too. Why don't we play a couple of those? Should we play an old Steve intro uh, tracked over the um, happy guitar.
2: Yeah, let's cue it up.
1: I'm Stephen Metcalf this is the Slate Culture Gab Fest Rock, Paper, Scissors edition. It's Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. On today's show, Wild is the new film from the director of Dallas Byers.
3: All right, so that was happy guitar. Let's quickly do melancholy guitar. Let's just run through them and then we can discuss. All right,
2: Melancholy Guitar with Steve.
1: I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Culture Gab Fest Rock, Paper, Scissors edition. It's Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. On today's show, Wild is the new film from the director of Dallas Buyers Club.
3: All right, let's do Steve plus Cliffs of (laughs) More.
1: I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Culture GabFest Rock, Paper, Scissors edition. It's Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. On today's show, Wild is the new film from the director of Dallas...
3: All right, and finally, Steve Plus, R&B Law Firm. (laughs) ¶¶
1: I'm Stephen Metcalf this is the Slate Culture Gab Fest Rock, Paper, Scissors edition. It's Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. On today's show, Wild is the new film from the director of Dallas.
3: So my main thought on listening to all of these was just like, wow, the guitar with the talking over it does not work. Like there needs to be space in the sound for Steve's voice.
2: And the guitar kind of disappears under his voice and just becomes a vague sonic bed, whereas the theme of, of R&B is really discernible even under his voice.
3: Yeah, you can kind of feel the pace and the ryth- rhythm and the melody of it, but it doesn't just feel like we've had to reduce the volume so far that it becomes like a little buzzing drone underneath Steve talking. For me, these tracks were the cementing ones that were like, okay, I think I can just like hear R&B Law Firm working in a way that the other ones wouldn't work as well in context.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. amazed. In the studio, we had some divergence, but I feel like we've all naturally, without even having to really argue, our point converged onto the same one.
1: I love the thing that's common to all of them, which is that kind of mnemonic, what will become, I hope, a mnemonic jog. At the beginning, of Pavlovian jog at the beginning of them, which is that intro piano, then the ambient sounds, which are bird song, which is great, and then that one squawk, which to me just is <laughs> like... Yeah, here comes the here comes the gabfest.
2: I think Julia needs to identify all the birds whose bird song we hear. as the birder? I among think us. Nick does know. I think we could get that
3: annotated. Maybe that can be a slate plus feature for a, a future day. Um The squawk is Alicia Keys, I think. <laughs> no, no way, man. I don't think she's even capable of making that sound. But right, I think what this crystallizes is that set of sounds at the beginning is going to become the actual thing that people kind of can hear in their head, even if it's not playing, if they listen to the show a lot. And then the music itself and melody is more of a sound bed to go under Steve. But I think, you know, hearing these tracks and realizing how much emphasis there would be on that opening set of music, we did have a couple notes for Nick that we sent back to him. One note that I had was that I thought the typewriter came in a little bit too loud and was like, it was so typewritery and we kind of liked that organic specific sound, but we were like, when is the last time any of us used a typewriter? Like It's kind of journalism-y in a generalized His Girl Friday kind of way, but it's not um, necessarily didn't seem like it needed quite as much emphasis as it had in that mix. So we sent him back a couple notes that maybe it would be interesting to try some digital sounds or get a typewriter ding in there for like a little moment of punctuation or um, there's I think Dana you had some ideas to add some radio sounds or just play with that yeah I guess just to,
2: to work in some other media specifically if possible something that was a 21st century media sound which is sort of hard to come up with you know what would that be the startup sound of a computer or the whoosh of a text being sent or something and a lot of those sounds are proprietary sounds actually so it, it, we would have had to be creative
3: there Um and we also talked about audio sounds, like mic sounds or radio sounds or something that seems to have to do with the history of the media. A little work, bit of crackle, maybe. Actually working in. So we asked Nick to play around with that sound mix a bit and also to play with the time to see if we could make it a little bit tighter so that there would be a slightly shorter piece of music before Steve started talking. Then there was another note from our producer, Anne, who noted, uh, who is married to a composer and much more musically adept than any of us, I think it's fair to say. But she was thinking about it logistically in terms of putting Steve's intro over that music week to week. You know, one thing you could just do is have the the sound slowly fade out towards the end of Steve's intro. And that's a fine way to do it and something many other shows do. But if we want the song to consistently end at the end of Steve's intro, like, and the third topic is, you know, the Sony hacks and then the music stops and says hey he, Steve says hey Dana hey Julia it needs to be a piece of music that can be very variable in length down to specific different lengths of time that Steve's intro is and so she was pointing out that the melody there was like hard to just abruptly stop in the middle at any point where Steve started talking and she wondered if there could be a little tail piece or a that shift vamp
2: that would keep on going that would
3: keep going but be a two bar riff instead of a four bar riff so that it would be easier to loop indefinitely under Steve until he stopped talking. So we sent back to Nick those notes to see if he could mix up the sounds, tighten the intro, and possibly play with a two bar bit at the end of the track. And he sent us back two new versions. So shall we play those? Sure. So I guess let's play them first song Steve and then we'll throw Steve on top. So at the top there were a couple of different sounds in there, right? What did you hear, Dana?
2: It seemed like there was some room noise. There was a part that almost sounded like people talking at a party or something like that that I, I don't remember hearing before. It's a little
3: cocktail chattery. I think it's a I think Nick said it was a little bit of subway sound that he mixed in to mm-hmm. New Yorkify it a bit. And there was also a bit of a radio Morse code bleep 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 bleep, bleep kind of sound at the beginning, in addition to the typewriter. I thing. liked
2: all that stuff, but I'm falling into a thing where I like everything I hear and
3: I want that <laughs> at all. Yeah, me
2: too. What do you think? What did you think, Steve, of the of the top?
1: I kind of love the added ambient sounds. I think they're really cool, but I'm having the Robert Parker problem, uh, Julia, that you alluded to, which is, you know, kind of every sip of wine is delicious, but tastes like the last.
3: Right. All right. Well, the last iteration is, I think, that same top, but with the special Ann Hepperman two-bar request thingamajig at the end. So let's play this final version from Nick.
1: Dana, what do you? Which one do you prefer?
2: I can respond more punchily. I think that's it. I think that's our theme. Yeah, the, the top is I kind great. I think so. That little thing at the end gives Anne some freedom to play around with what she does with it. We all like at this point the R and B music theme itself. I mean, it just—it seems like it's asking for the moon to ask for anything better than than that mix. No, I really love it. I—it feels like our theme already. Like I feel like that's our show.
1: I. You know what? I, I was going to say it, but I wasn't confident. But I agree. I think you're right.
3: Um. All right. Well. The long, our long national nightmare is over the Slate Culture Gab Fest has a new theme song
1: hooray all right well next time you hear the show that'll be the theme song to it I think we've we've found our baby and we're adopting it and swaddling it and you know and uh, making it our own
2: all right thanks to Nick Bertel yeah,
3: yeah
1: absolutely all right
3: um, well I can't wait to hear how it sounds in our first show of 2015
1: all right well now is the moment in our podcast where we endorse Dana what do you have
2: Okay, so I've got a highbrow endorsement this week. So the the British actress Billie Whitelaw died this week at age 82, and she is an actress who's very, very strongly associated with Samuel Beckett. She was his favorite actress he wrote many parts, especially for her, um, namely the part of Winnie in *Happy Days*, which is one of his most famous plays. Which is uh, a play that takes place entire with the character, the main character Winnie, buried up to her neck in sand for the entire <laughs> the entire show. And um, and Billy Whitelaw, this part was created for her, and there are legendary stories about her inter- interpretation of it. And uh, I discovered upon doing some research after her death that um, the entire Samuel Beckett directed version of *Happy Days* from 1979, starring Billy Whitelaw, is on on. YouTube in two acts. So this is some very demanding theater to view, especially because it was directed by Beckett himself. So I'm presuming that it's quite uh, gloomy and long, but I'm very excited to watch it. And I just wanted to let you all know that if you go on YouTube and look for Happy Days 1979, you can see Beckett exactly as Beckett wanted Beckett performed, directed by him with the actress that he once called the perfect actress in the title role.
3: And this screenshot on Dana's screen right now is just this like sort of blonde sixties-ish woman like literally sitting in a pile of dirt. It's like up to her waist.
2: Mm. I believe now, I can't remember, I've only read this play, never seen it before, but I believe she's buried up to her head at the beginning, and then in the second act she emerges, or maybe it's the opposite. Spoiler. Listeners can tell me, maybe she gets deeper in the sand. It dirt. sounds very Beckettian that she would get deeper, actually, now that I think about it. Dirt pile, spoiler. Yeah, I
3: can't imagine that she's emerging. It only makes sense if she gets deeper.
2: Yeah. I think in act two you you only see her head and for all I I know she's she's sucked in by the end. Anyway, this is definitely not going to be uplifting viewing, but but if you happen to be interested in experimental theater and Samuel Beckett and Billy Whitelaw, as I am, I'm going to explore at some point when I have a couple of gloomy hours to pass um, this version of Happy Days.
1: God, and a couple of Vicodin and bourbon to go with it. Uh, that sounds awesome. Um, Julia, what do you have?
3: I actually have a Nicholas Bertel-related endorsement. So Nick, the composer who came up with our R&B law firm theme, also worked on a movie that I may have talked about on the show at some point, but it's a great film that you should watch. If you haven't seen it, it's called Give Me the Loot. And it's a one crazy night or a few crazy days narrative about two young friends, graffiti artists in New York, uh, who have the goal of tagging the apple at City Field at Shea Stadium. And they are trying to scrape together the resources to go do that. uh, And while doing so, they trip through a whole different set of tranches of new york city and their relationship with each other and the rest of the world develops and it's just a really funny smart sweet talky film it was written and directed by a friend of mine adam leon and nick did some of the music for it and you know when your friends like work on an art project for a really long time and then you are going to see that art project and you kind of hope it's good but you don't know i had a great experience with this film of like you know Adam had just disappeared for a year and a half, and then it was premiering at South by Southwest, and I happened to be there, so I went and got to see the premiere of it. And I loved it, and there's no better feeling than purely, genuinely loving and reveling in the creative product of A Dear Friend. Uh, It's just Mm. a really funny, sweet,
2: talky, lovely movie i don't know did either of you guys ever see it i did i saw give me the loot and i was very very fond of it it's got a very particular it's it's like a a tiny little social satire of sort of parts of new york culture that you don't often see satirized and it's also Mm. a very gentle loving one yeah it's a it's a
3: sweet and lovely and charming film and the music in it is terrific too so check out give me the loot if you're looking for uh something to watch over this holiday break
1: Mm. Oh, that sounds cool um, so uh, yes it is true there's nothing better than friends working on a creative project and uh, it debuting with you and you liking it it's an enormous relief there's nothing better unless it's mixing Vicodin and bourbon but the <laughs> truth is <laughs> the truth is I want to say that I don't mix Vicodin and bourbon and am not in any way inclined to do so for the record proof of which is that I'm having like incredible old man dental problems that score me all kinds of completely legal prescription painkillers, which I never take. I still have every single fucking one of them, except from the day after the extraction. Steve, you were, like, setting up your house for a hit. (laughs) I know. Well, anyway, for the record, like, there's (laughs) nothing funny about drinking bourbon and taking a Vicodin. So shame on me. And to prove it, I'm going to endorse the band The War on Drugs, which is I know they've been around for like eight or nine years and everyone's already discovered them eight times over before I did. But that's the thing about being a toothless old man. It comes to you <laughs> late, but in the form of uh, wisdom and, and, um, and ethereal delight. I love that band. I really like them. I, I mean, I've heard about them for years, but now I'm finally getting into it. I think their music is great. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Send us an email. And then also there's a great Springsteen, unexpected Springsteen cover that I came across YouTubing it the other day, which is Jarvis Cocker, uh, formerly of the Britpop band Pulp, does a cover now live uh, very often of State Trooper, the Springsteen song, which is, I mean, you can be the most devoted, you know, anti-Springsteen zealot, and I think you'd have to admit that Nebraska is a great album and State Trooper is just a harrowing cut from that record, and Jarvis Cocker does it really well. It's on YouTube. Check it out. All right. Uh, thanks, Dana. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Julia. Thank you. You'll find links to some of the things we talked about today at our show page, slate.com slash culturefest. And you can email us at culturefest at slate.com or drop us a note at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash culturefest. Our producer is Ann Hepperman. Our intern is Josephine Livingston. The managing producer of Slate Podcast is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. And our Twitter feed is Slate Culp Fest. For Dana Stevens and Julia Turner, I'm Stephen Metcalf. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing our Nick Bertel theme song introduce us next week.
4: I hope it's not-